Welcome to Style Your Mind, a podcast for women who are ready to choose themselves, become their own permission slip, and create a life and career they're obsessed with. I'm your host, Carol Alba-Leba, best-selling author of Girl Code and more, master life coach, and mentor to women entrepreneurs. I am obsessed with women on the edge of change, and I've worked with hundreds of women around the world to help them curate a gorgeous mind and a fabulous life. Join me each week for empowering conversations and actionable tools you can use right now to design your thoughts, step into your power, and fulfill your potential. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hi guys, and welcome back to the show. I am so excited for today's episode. I am bringing you a conversation with one of my favorite people, Sarah Ordo. Sarah is an entrepreneur, a makeup artist, a self-published author, a podcast host, YouTuber, mindset coach, dog mom, carb enthusiast, (laughs) and she is also known as the girl who is sober as fuck. By the way, if you have kids listening in this episode, you may want to put some earmuffs on them or maybe make this a private episode that you listen to because we do drop a couple of F-bombs, but of course, it's always out of love. So Sarah and I met a couple of years back. She actually sent me a DM on Instagram when she was thinking about self-publishing her first book and she had some questions and I just answered her and I gave her some advice and I talked about my journey with self-publishing. And from that day on, we just kind of stayed in each other's lives. I wound up following her back and watching her self-publish all of these books, launch a podcast, start a brunch series. She's from Detroit. She's going to talk about that and just really expand her platform and really utilize her platform for good. Sarah's story is really interesting, and she's going to get into all of it in this episode, so I won't spoil it for you, but let's just say she had this major breakthrough after she found herself hitting rock bottom after going on a drinking and drug binge, and she literally woke up in a hospital room and was like, I need to change my life. She just turned 30, but she is so wise beyond her years, and she just has such an amazing perspective to share with us. In this episode, we're going to talk about her journey to sobriety, what changed in her life after she became sober, how she is really showing up every single day in the world with purpose. We talk about aging and what it means to age gracefully. It is just such an empowering conversation, and I cannot wait for you guys to hear it. So without further ado, here is my interview with Sarah Ordo. Hi, Sarah, and welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you back. Hi, Kara. I am so excited to be back. I can't believe it's been two years. I know we were just talking about this. Absolutely insane, but I'm so excited to be here again and chat with you some more. Two years later, so much has changed. Sarah, I have just watched her completely go balls to the wall with her life and her business. And she reminds me so much of myself. And I think so many of you who are tuning in who are just dedicated to being the best version of yourself, to being the healthiest version of yourself, to eliminating the things in your life that just don't serve you anymore. And for Sarah, it's been getting sober, right? And you've been sober now four years. I have. And thank you so much for that little intro. Like such a compliment. Thank you. <laughs> oh, of course. It's the truth. Like everything that I read of yours and just your drive and your energy and your passion and zest for life, I find to be so inspiring. And I know as someone who, you know, has been focused on being healthy, like 
alcohol really just dulls me. And I know that you can definitely relate to having it dull you. And I feel like a lot of people who are listening now probably feel the same way. I really want to dive into the concept. Of, well, I want people to know your story first. I want you to take us through your journey. Um, but I want to really today in this conversation, talk about being sober, talk about being alcohol free, however you want to phrase it, whether you are thinking about giving up drinking entirely, or you want to take a break from it and all the fabulous, amazing, glamorous, stylish, wonderful things that can come along with that. Because I think when we tend to think about stopping drinking or, or, you know, becoming sober, we think of it as like this, you know, going into this place of deprivation, like we're giving everything up and that's just not true. You know, Sarah, like I said, you've done so much. And I feel like if you were still drinking, there's no way you would have self-published five books at this point. You're up to number five, right? Six. Six? Oh my God, I love you. Seven soon, right? How insane am I? (laughs) Right, but because you have this energy and you have this clarity. So can you take us back four years ago to your journey of, you know, how you got to this place where you realized that alcohol just was not going to be a part of your life anymore? Absolutely. So- Okay. So four years ago, I was your typical party girl, lush every single weekend was let's dress up in really cute, sleazy outfits, go to the bar, get wasted, meet guys. Like that was my life. Like every, it was just a cycle of that, like Mm -hmm. constantly. And, you know, I didn't necessarily like have this, Oh, maybe I should get sober. Maybe I should get sober. Maybe I should get sober thought process. Mine was pretty much like thrown in the face rock bottom where I had to do something. If you guys have listened to the old episode, you might know a little bit more of the story. Or if you've read my first book, Sober as Fuck, um, I go into it in detail in there. But basically, I it was just a typical weekend for me. It wasn't some you know crazy thing. I was going to a music festival that we went to every year. In, um, I live in the Detroit suburbs, so it was in downtown Detroit. And we went to this festival. I did my typical, you know, had to pregame at my apartment, had to get drunk before I went anywhere because that's what I always did. And just drank an insane amount of alcohol beforehand. I was drinking tequila. I was taking Adderall, like mixing drugs into the mix and ultimately went to this festival, kept drinking when I got there. Um, I was a blackout drinker as well. So if anyone's ever blacked out when they drink, you know, it's a little scary because sometimes you are full functioning saying, doing things that you would never do sober and you have no control over it. So I was at this festival, completely blacked out, continued to drink, and then ultimately took a handful of pills from someone I met at this festival that I did not know. And my friend, basically told me she was like, he basically like shoveled them into your mouth and you took them and gave him like a wad of money, which I don't even know how much I gave him. I don't know what he told me, what I told him. But ultimately I ended up being taken to the emergency room in Detroit by ambulance from the festival. Um, I completely collapsed on the concrete. Someone had to carry my body to the front gates to get to where the ambulance was to take me out. And I ultimately had a seizure in the ambulance bit halfway through my tongue was, I don't remember any of this. So all of it was pieced back together for me by either my friends or the people at the hospital. Um, and I woke up in the emergency room with wires, IVs, sensors, monitors hooked up all over me. I had no idea what had happened. I had no idea where I was. I was pulling IVs out of my arms. I was ripping things off. I was screaming, like had no idea what was going on. And I ultimately had taken such a, I had such a high blood alcohol level from everything I had drank. And then I took a lethal combination of drugs on top of it that my body body was just basically shutting down on itself. And 
What was, what was like the, that's insane. Number one, I I I get like chills every time I hear it. I've heard your story so many times, but it's like, it is truly a miracle that you're here. And I know that you know that. It is. Yeah. The doctors basically, I mean, like the doctors told me when I was there, they were like, you are five feet tall. Like I'm small. I'm like five feet tall, 115, 120 pounds, like around there. Like I'm a tiny girl. And the amount of drugs and alcohol I would consume was so insanely dangerous. And the doctor just basically told me like, your body was shutting down on itself. Like, we don't know how you pulled through this and how your body was able to get through that. What was the first thought that went through your mind when you woke up in that hospital room? Honestly, I was still so fucked up and I was still so out of it. It hadn't, it didn't hit me for a little while. I remember I was trying to convince my friend to take me to the after hours party that my friends were at because I thought they had all of my belongings because I didn't have my keys. I didn't have my shoes. I didn't have my ID. I didn't have my phone, my purse. I had nothing. And so I wanted to go to this after hours party and she was like, no, (laughs) like (laughs) you just got out of the hospital. Like, are you like, cause it was the next morning. Yeah. And she was like, no, like, are you kidding me? And it's crazy because I remember even like, obviously, like they had flushed everything, like tried to, they stabilized me. But ultimately, as soon as I was like stabled out, they let me leave with someone. Like they let me leave with my friend as soon as she came to get me, which is a little crazy to me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, to them, sadly, this is a common occurrence and this happens. And I think one of the scariest things, you know, I've been reading a lot. I don't know if you read the book, This Naked Mind. I have. Fabulous. It's such yes. a good book. And it just shows you that no one plans to ever get to this point. You no. never in a million years would imagine yourself in that hospital room waking up like that. You know, just like the bum on the street never imagines themselves like like begging for change to drink a bottle of vodka with like no belongings. You know, like we don't realize how quickly alcohol can take hold of us. And it's scary because it's something that's so normalized and so glamorized in our society. So it's one of the hardest, you know, drugs to separate yourself from because it's just such a common thing. I mean, pretty much everyone drinks. I think 87% of Americans are drinkers. That's a lot of people. Yeah. The statistics are insane. And if you look into, I don't know them like off the top of my head, but like if you look into the statistics of things involving alcohol, whether it's deaths, whether it's car accidents, whether it's sexual assault, whether it's rape, so there's such a high percentage where alcohol is involved. Yeah, it is absolutely crazy. It is. So you obviously had this rock bottom. What when you finally started, you know, piecing everything together, coming to, you know, back in your home, like what was the thought process for you? Was it like an immediate, like, yes, I'm getting sober, or was it a slow process? Did you feel like you would drink again? Like, what did that feel like for you? Honestly, I think it was a roller coaster for a very long time for me. Um At first I realized, I think the first time was when I saw my mom because my, I went to my mom's house the morning after Mm -hmm. and seeing my mom and seeing how my mom and everyone was so scared and worried and emotional and people that cared about me were like trying to get in touch with me to find, trying to call the hospital to see if I was alive. Seeing what I put other people through made me feel terrible. And that was the first moment when I was like, okay, I need to do something. Like I hated having to sit down the next day and write out like apology messages or do apology phone calls. 
And it, it was embarrassing. It was like, I have to sit here and apologize for my, for what I've done because of how I am with alcohol and drugs and partying. And that made me feel terrible. Um, you know, and ultimately another thing that really hit me was the first time I went back to my apartment, I was living in like a one little one bedroom apartment at the time. I remember walking in and when I walked inside, I, it was weird. It was like my senses were on overload and I looked around and it hit me in that moment while I was standing there in the doorway. Like this could be someone else walking into my apartment right now to go through my things. Mm -hmm. And I thought about like, had this like clearest day vision in my head of like my mom coming into my apartment with my dad and my brother and like picking out what mementos or things they were going to keep to like, remember me by. And that was like the most mindfuck situation that it was like, oh my God, I can't do this. Like something needs to change. Yeah. And like to know that you essentially were doing that to yourself, like you were consciously doing that to yourself. And I think Mm -hmm. we all like, no matter what your story is with alcohol, whether you just drink socially, you have a few glasses of wine with dinner. I don't think anyone ever expects to get to the point where you recognize like the depth of your problem. You know, it's poison. It's just poison. However you look at it, whether it's, you know, like there's something that actually Annie Grace, who's the author of, um, this naked mind talks about, you know, the, the risks associated with drinking, even like long-term risks like cancer. It doesn't matter if you have one super expensive glass of champagne on the weekend, or you have 20, you know, Irish car bombs. Like it's the same poison. It doesn't discriminate. It doesn't discriminate against the person who's a casual drinker or the person who's a binge drinker. It's still toxic. And ultimately we are just so much healthier and better off without it. Oh yeah. I mean, it it is crazy because like I've seen not only in, you know, like what I've been able to achieve in my life and how much my life has changed, but like how I feel, like it was evident to me very quickly how much alcohol was affecting me physically once I stopped. Yes. Because I had no idea when I was in it, you know, I was like, oh no, I'm fine. I'm good. Everything's great. And, but once I got sober, it was like little things I would start to notice. Like I, um, I do makeup and so I use my hands a lot and like, that is like a given you're going to have to get carpal tunnel surgery one day, you know? And Mm -hmm. I had carpal tunnel in my wrists so bad that I was sleeping with braces on like carpal tunnel braces. And I knew I was going to have to get surgery soon. This was back when you were drinking. Yes. And I have never worn it again. I have never had an issue with it again. I've never had surgery for it. I used to have arthritis in my knees and my hips when I would run. Now I run outside miles all the time. Never had an issue with it again. Um, My skin changed. My energy changed. How I was sleeping changed. Like every, it became very clear to me afterwards, like, holy shit, like alcohol really has the power, not only to make you like act in ways that it's going to alter you, but physically too. Okay. So let's talk about evolving, right? Because you have evolved so much. So you, you came out of this situation, you decided you were going to get sober and you wrote a book about it. So can you talk to us about that journey? Yeah. I had no idea what the fuck I was doing. First of all, (laughs) nobody who ever writes a book does just FYI. And the funny part, I was literally thinking about it this morning before we were going to get on and talk today. And I was like, I want everyone listening to know, cause I think this is so like full circle moment. Like I had no idea what the fuck I was doing. I was like, I guess I'm going to write a book. Like, how do I do this? And I literally like DM'd Kara, like asking, 
asking for advice. And I, now it's like, oh my gosh, like now we're talking about it and we're so far beyond it. But I wanted everyone listening to know, like, if you ever think about like, oh, Kara's so like popular. She has all these followers. Like Kara literally gave me advice on how to self-publish my first book when I had no <laughs> idea. And I always think that's so cool though, because I'm like, people ask me like, how'd you figure it out? And I'm like, well, I, I Googled, I YouTubed, I, I asked Kara a lot of questions and they're like, oh, okay. But it's true. Like, I remember messaging you like, hey, how do you format this? Like, I had no idea how to do anything. It was hilarious. Uh-huh. Um, but I mean, the process of writing the book, it was, it was very, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done, but it was also one of the most rewarding and kind of life-changing things I've ever done because it's very therapeutic, but it's also extremely vulnerable and you're putting yourself out there. And not only was I putting myself out there, but I was putting my lowest moment and my not so pretty side of me out there for the world. And it was really scary. Like I was terrified when it first went out, but as time has gone on that first book, it literally changed my life. And like, I don't say that like lightly, like writing Silver as Fuck has literally changed my life. It has made everything happen. It has connected with so many people. I have people send me messages on like a daily basis that are like, oh my God, I was in recovery. I was at an inpatient facility. I was in rehab. I was in detox. And someone I know sent me your book. And I'm just like, holy shit. Like that one like hits me in the heart when I get messages like that. Well, doesn't it make you feel like in a weird way, everything happened the way that it did on purpose? Like you had to go through those moments, you know, to, to be able to come outside of yourself and realize that, you know, like it's not about us at the end of the day, our lives, it's about what we do with our lives. And it's about the people that we impact and help. And if you could take something that was so scary and terrifying and rock bottom and turn it around into this most amazing, beautiful movement, like that's what life's about. Oh, 1000%. And I am like such a firm believer of like, God, the universe signs things happening for a reason. And, you know, it was scary. It was a crazy situation to go through, but now I would not give that situation up for the world. Like you couldn't pay me to go back and make that not happen because I do realize that I was given this to go through to experience because this book wouldn't exist. None of this shit would exist had I not gone through that. Right. And you wouldn't be where you are now. Like I I know when you wrote that book, that was, you know, you were talking a lot about your journey and you still do talk a lot about your journey with sobriety, but I've watched you now take that and take it to the next level. Like just the way, you know, my brand has evolved, yours has too. And I think we all continue to evolve as self-aware women. And I've watched you now just write more and more and dig into mindset. And you've got your podcast, by the way, tell everyone about your podcast and where they can find it so they can take a note. Oh, I fucking love my podcast. It's so much fun. Um, it's called Her Best Fucking Life, and it is on iTunes and Stitcher, and it's just, it's a really good one. We talk about a lot of fun things. I do talk about sobriety on it sometimes, but I talk more about, you know, relentlessly living your best life, unfor- like uh, unapologetic, doing what you need to do, and it's, it is a lot of mindset stuff. It's a lot of things, but I am like very, I almost use it like an audio journal, I guess. Yeah. Where- Like when I'm going through something, like I just did an entire episode talking about how like I don't feel successful and how I struggle to give myself credit for the things that I do. And so I I get really deep on there sometimes and it does almost become like an audio journal where I'm like 
letting it all out. And then at the same time, though, I'll have like six people contact me being like, oh my God, I'm the exact same way. Yeah. And so it reaches people. It's cool. So I have a lot of different stuff on there. I have a lot of cool guests on there. Kara's been on there, of course, but <laughs> it's a fun podcast. I love it. It is. And I love that you speak to all women. You know, like I think it's, it's really good to be rooted in something, right? Like we all start kind of somewhere when we're, when we're spreading a message, whether it's a blog or a book and yours really was rooted in your sobriety in that journey, but you've really been able to broaden that message and speak to women everywhere, whether they are drinking, not drinking, exploring their relationship with drinking. Like your brand, I feel like now is really truly about living your best life. And I, I love the recent book that you wrote, 30 as fuck. It's so yeah. good. <laughs> I want to talk favorite. a little bit about that. It's my favorite, but it was like the most fun to write. It was finally like, I love my sober stuff so much. I really do. And like, it's the stuff that I know makes the biggest impact. But after doing so many like serious things and like talking about sobriety things, like 30 as fuck was like the opposite. It was fun and it was funny and it was for all women to relate to. And so I had so much fun writing this book. I love it. I love it. And I can relate. I mean, I'm 39. I'll be 40 next year. And I still relate because you go through different things as you age. But at the end of the day, yeah. you're still aging. And I think women in our society, it's like we're terrified to age. It's like it's the scariest thing. And, and everybody tries to put it off and act like it's not going to happen or they have some magic way to prevent it from happening. And that's just not true. Like, yeah, you can, you know, you and I both, I think, have similar views on Botox. Like, a lot of people overdo it. You know, I know you, we wrote in the book, you wouldn't, you're not against it. You might try it at some point in the future, but you, you know, feel the same way I do. Like we turn on the TV or we look on Instagram and everybody's just like full of fillers and crazy stuff. And they're just, they're trying so hard to hang on to this youth when in reality we can't escape that. So why not just embrace it and try to age gracefully and realize that it's truly a privilege, not something that we should be ashamed of or afraid of. Yes. And I, I poke fun at a lot of things in the book and like just talking about aging, a couple of the things that I poke fun at in there was I bring up like my nighttime skincare routine that I was doing. And I made the comparison, like, I'm just over here, like putting acid on my face and rolling needles all over my skin. And it sounds like the plot of a movie where like, they're trying to force one and someone into like a confession to a murder. Like, no, that's just my nighttime skincare routine. <laughs> But it's, it's so true. Like you watch Bravo, you watch all these things and like, don't get me wrong. I fucking love Bravo. But at the same time, it's like everyone is so injected and perfect. And it's like aging is like the plague. Like we're like, and if you think about it, like, we're all going to fucking die. Our skin's going to get saggy. Right. You can't hold it off forever. It's, that's how life goes. <laughs> I know. And sometimes I feel like, you know, and to each her own, I totally, I get it. We all have like a different path to walk. We all have different feelings about this. But sometimes when I see women who are so overdone, they stand out more than a woman who is just naturally aging. Yes. Like I see a woman who's so full of filler. I'm like, whoa, like my head turns and not in a good way. And it's like, she looks to me, she just looks so deeply, deeply insecure and she's trying to prolong something. And I notice her more then I would notice maybe the woman in her 60s with some wrinkles on her face who's just still looks beautiful and is still glowing. It's just, it draws more attention to you and not in a good way. I think so too. There's times that you see those people and you're like, whoa, someone got their lips done. Like, yeah. it's like holy shit. Yeah. And I am, I'm 30. I have 
we'll say expression lines slash wrinkles on my forehead. They don't go away anymore. They are there all the time. And I used to be one of those people that, and I, you know, I think it's because of society, it's what we see. I was one of those people that put a filter on everything and went into the Facetune app and smoothed out my forehead on every single photo I posted. And I was guilty of doing that for a long time in my twenties because I did have these early like wrinkles starting on my face because I use my eyebrows a lot when I talk. I'm a very expressive person, <laughs> but, and that's I, where I am now. Like if you look at my recent photos, like you can totally see them. And I'm just like, you know what? Like I'm fucking 30. You know what? Sure. I have a few wrinkles showing up on my face, but like I'm living an amazing fucking life and I'm kicking ass and doing all these things. Like a couple little expression lines on my face are not going to hold me back from that. Yes. And you doing that gives other women permission to do the same. And I totally agree with you. I had a (laughs) story that happened to me. I wrote about this in like, she owns the place. I had a picture that I posted. This might've been two years ago at this point, maybe even three years ago. And I posted a picture of myself unfiltered and I had like a couple little freckles on my cheeks and, you know, some lines on my forehead, human. And this girl that I know, you know, not super close with, know her, I guess, decently enough. She I got a text from her and she sent it back to me and it was completely Photoshopped and my, my freckles were gone and my wrinkles were gone. And she wrote here, I fixed your picture for you. No. And like, <laughs> it's like, okay. My stomach just oh like, my God. I would have sent back like the middle finger emoji. Like I know. And she's older than me before. <laughs> she's older than me too. You know, she's like in her late forties or whatever. And I guess, you know, to her, that was like doing me a favor. Like here, let me fix this for you. The problem is we've just become so used to seeing things filter that we don't know what people look like without it. And it's scary. And you know what? Like, and I'm not saying she's a bad person or anything. I'm not going to be mean, but like she probably, I'm just going to take a wild guess that like she wouldn't be comfortable posting a photo like that. No, not at all. I mean, and that's she why looks, she did it. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's just liberating when you literally and figuratively take the mask off, you know, and you just say like, this is me. This is it. Like, I don't care. I deleted that phase two app a long time ago. I don't care. Like I, I personally want to be one of those women that just embrace it. And I think, you know, I know being healthy starts from the inside out and it's what we're eating, what we're thinking, what we're drinking or not drinking, you know, how much we're moving our body those are the things I want to focus on. That's my beauty routine. It's not, you know, face tune and, and Botox and filler and all that stuff. Yeah. And I think a lot of people relate to that more because that's what they look like. And so it's not having them see these perfect models all over Instagram and basically like feeling ashamed about how they look or thinking that they are wrong when they can see us being real and real people they can look up to that. It's like, Oh yeah, she looks like me. She's got wrinkles. She's got freckles. And that's why I literally, if anyone I'm like so active on Insta stories, it's ridiculous sometimes, but (laughs) I always Insta story. Like I Insta story that I was going to do this interview with you today in my pajamas with no makeup on making my breakfast. Yeah, that's yeah. real life. Yes, that's normal. I do that shit on purpose because I want people to be like, okay, I'm not sitting here like perfectly done with my, my makeup on and my hair styled. Like, hey, everyone with a filter on. Like, no, I'm fucking making breakfast in my pajamas. Like all of you are on a Sunday morning. Like yeah. this is real life. And I love that you put yourself out real. I, I love that I put myself out real. I think more people should do it because it would take that weird stigma away from aging and not looking perfect all the time. I totally agree. 
Totally agree. So shifting from looks, let's also chat a little bit about getting older and expectations because something you talk about a lot and that I love, especially in this book, 30 as fuck, you talk about, you know, timelines that we create for ourselves and these like imaginary timelines of when we should do something. And this is the age we should be married. And I actually just want to read this one little part that I highlighted because I just thought it was so funny. I love that you highlighted it. So true. I know I'm such a nerd. <laughs> no, I, I love it. <laughs> Okay. So you talk about, you know, getting older and and sort of like what you imagine for yourself. And you said, why do I not have that handsome man grilling in the backyard yet? Why am I drowning in student loan debt and shopping the clearance racks religiously? Why am I renting a one bedroom apartment and not buying my first white picket fenced home with my husband? Why did the first man I truly loved lie and break my heart with his cheating? And why aren't my breasts perfectly shaped and perky, just like my Malibu Barbie that drives the pink convertible with her heart-shaped sunglasses on? Our perfect little storyline from playing with our dollhouses and daydreaming about our lives falls apart when we realize that life is going to be very different than what we daydreamed it would be as a young girl. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I think we all have this like timeline in our head and it's just it's self-imposed craziness it is and I will tell you my timeline that I had for myself for a very long time crashed and burned at 30 (laughs) and I had to learn to be okay with that I as a little girl you know and I, I I talk about in the book like you said I talk about you know when you're little and you think like okay so I'm, I'm young and, you know, when I'm in my 20s, I'm going to meet the perfect man. I'm going to get married. We're going to buy a house. We're going to get married. We're going to have kids. Everything's going to be great. We're going to have the dog and, you know, we're going to eat perfect home-cooked meals at the dinner table every night as a family. Like we have this picture in our head of how everything's going to go and shit doesn't always go that way. And I think you realize that really quickly as you start to get older, but like towards the end of my 20s, I was so obsessed with the idea that I had to be married and starting to have children at 30 years old, which clearly I'm, it's going to be starting soon, but like that didn't happen for me. And I remember like being very upset about it and being like, okay, thinking in my head as I'm online dating on fucking Tinder, okay, I'm 28, (laughs) I'm 28 right now. So if I meet someone at 28 and say we date for a year and then get engaged at 29 and then we'll be married by the time I'm 30 or while I'm still 30 and then I can get pregnant while I'm still 30. Like that's literally how my crazy ass was thinking. But that's how so many girls think. And I know I thought that way for a long time too. I mean, I- I let it go probably around the same age. I would say maybe about 30 is when I realized like things are just going to be different, but we all do this. You're not abnormal for thinking this way. I think every right. single woman who's listening right now gets it. Yeah. Yeah. And it became very like awakening for me. And I, I will say like, that's one of the reasons I wanted to write this book is because the closer I got to 30, the more I realized how fucking ridiculous I was being. And I realized that 30 is not like, like I'm 30 right now. And if anything, I feel the best I've ever felt. My life is the best it's ever been. I'm more confident in myself. I'm more confident in everything that I'm doing. I'm very secure in who I am as a person. And I don't feel old. My ovaries aren't drying up. I'm not, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like people having kids like well through their thirties and it's these crazy limits we create that don't even exist. And we create these timelines that don't even fucking exist for ourselves. (laughs) Yeah. And I love that you also talk about in the book, like acknowledging all of your other successes. Like maybe you don't have the baby yet, or, you know, you haven't had the big wedding yet, but you've 
you know, written so many books, you've got your podcast, you've got your makeup business, like you've done so many other things. And I think it's all about perspective and gratitude. Absolutely. Yeah. If you can shift your mindset to what you have rather than what you don't have, it's immediately going to give it a more positive spin. And, and that is something I had to do is focus more on, okay, maybe I don't have a husband yet, but like, I've been paying all my own bills for years and you know, maybe I don't have children yet, but I fucking self-publish books. Like (laughs) Those are babies, by the way. Books are babies. They're they're book babies. Yeah. But (laughs) it's more about looking at it that way. And I think it's, you've got to become more comfortable with the idea that, you know, the timeline you had for yourself, it, it might look very different and that's not a bad thing. Like I remember Oh my God, how old was I? It was right before I met Andrew. I remember I tried to go get approved for my first for a mortgage. I was like, well, I always thought I'd be buying a house with someone. And I remember like getting very, I cried about it in therapy. And I literally said to my therapist, I just never thought I'd be this agent doing this alone. Hmm. Meanwhile, you could have looked at that and said, look at me, not even 30, buying my own house. Exactly. Having done all these things. Yes. Able to buy my own home, which ultimately didn't happen, but (laughs) because I did the answer right after. But you know, that's the thing. Like I'm sitting here crying, thinking like, well, what was me? Like, oh, I never thought I'd be this agent doing this alone. But at the same time, it's like, do you know what a boss ass bitch I would feel like to be buying a house by myself? Yeah. That's incredible. So it, it is definitely the way you are approaching it, the mindset, the way you're thinking about it in your head, the what, what you're placing the importance on that can completely change that. I totally agree. What has been the proudest moment for you in your life up to this point? Oh, gosh. I want to say self-publishing my first book. I want to say that's probably it. But honestly... I feel like I can't really pinpoint like one, one moment. I just feel like there's been a lot of moments that have made it very like eye opening and clear to me that like things, and this sounds so weird saying it this way, but like that things are actually happening for me and that I'm actually like making an impact. Right. I get those little reminders. So I can't, I don't know if it's like one specific moment, but whenever I get these like reassurances that like, someone will contact me or say something or like, I, oh my God, I got recognized for the first time at a fucking Olive Garden. Oh, I love it. it. The greatest moment of my life over breadsticks. Like I was. <laughs> That's amazing. And you know what I love most about that? You're recognized because of the work you're doing, not because you were on a reality show, not because you were on a billboard somewhere, because you're deeply affecting the lives of other women. And I think that's so beautiful. Yes. It's like I wasn't on the fucking bachelor trying to win roses or anything crazy like that. Like, no, she was like, you're the girl that wrote that book, didn't you? And I was like, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Let's take a selfie. (laughs) I know. So I honestly like things like that, I'd say are my most proud moments when I actually realize the impact of things because I'm very, I have a bad habit of being extremely humble and like downplaying things when I shouldn't. And so when things like that happen, I'm like, okay, wow, no, this is actually happening. (laughs) How do you combat that side of you? Because I do think that's something that a lot of women struggle with not giving ourselves enough credit for being amazing. Like how do you, you know, tell that little voice in your head that tells you to just kind of be humble and not appreciate it. What do you say to her? 
Well, I'll be 100% honest. I'm still working on it. <laughs> it's not something I figured out completely yet. Um, I have to really put myself in check sometimes because I am terrible with doing that. And it literally like, and I, I talked about this in the podcast episode I did, and I'll talk about it here just to give people an example, just because people hear me talking like, oh, she's so confident. She's doing all these things that when my last um, book that I just put out, it's like a short coffee table book. It's called 32 Badass Things About Being Sober, which shameless plug, it's on Amazon if you guys want it. But <laughs> when that came out, it stayed in the number one new releases spot for alcoholism, substance abuse, like all these different categories for the entire weekend and into the next week. That is awesome. It was amazing. But like, this is how I knew something was wrong. And I had to really like do something about it because I told one of my friends, I texted her and I said, okay, how fucked up is this? That my book is sitting in this number one new release spot. And I'm literally sitting here right now thinking about the next thing I can do that's going to do better or that's going to be bigger or what I need to do next. Yeah. And I was like, at such a mind fuck. Cause it's like, you should be so proud. And I was like, I, and I was excited and I was like, oh my God, I was posting about it. I was so excited. I was sending screenshots to my mom and Andrew, like, and at the same time though, like my head was still in that, no, you're not doing enough thing, which is twisted. So like, I have really been diving deep into that lately and I've been trying, uh, my therapist and I are trying hypnotherapy, which has been really cool. It's really interesting. It's kind of weird, but really, what is it like? Tell us. Oh, I've never done so it. Oh, weird. Oh my God. So basically the whole idea behind it, she's trained in hypnotherapy. She like went and was trained on how to do it and everything. And she had mentioned it to me and I was like, okay, let's try it. Like, cause at this point I'm like, I don't know why I'm thinking this way and I don't feel this way and I don't want to feel this way. And I know I don't want to feel this way, but it was like, my brain was thinking differently. So what hypnotherapy basically is, is you go into a state where your unconscious mind is what is going to take everything in and learn and absorb everything. So you're basically removing like your conscious thinking layer. You go into this like state of somewhat hypnosis so that your unconscious thinking can take in all these new things that you're going to tell it. So it's very crazy. Interesting. Well, it's interesting because everything I've been reading about alcohol is so connected to the subconscious mind, you know, the deep rooted stuff that we aren't even necessarily aware of. Right. So hypnotherapy is really cool. I've done it. We've done one session so far for this specifically, and we've been talking about it as well, like in between, but it's really cool because like she will like how a typical like cliche, like, like hypnotizing you think, but she'll basically like count you down from 10 and you'll like feel this light. And then basically she's just like telling or she or he is just like telling you things like, you know, for example, the thing she was telling me was like, you know, we want you to understand that it's okay to be proud of yourself. And it's not a bad thing to accept your accomplishments and give yourself credit for them and feel good about them. And it's not being braggy, you know, it's not being full of yourself or selfish. Like, you have the ability, like you have the right to open up and say like, this is a good thing. I'm happy. And so it just kind of like rewrites how your unconscious mind works. And then literally it's crazy because she'll count you like back out of it. And it was weird because like, as she was doing it and I made this comparison and someone laughed, but like, if you've seen the movie get out where the, the guy like sinks through the floor, 
I haven't seen it. Okay. If anyone's <laughs> seen the previews for it where she's like sink through the floor and he like goes through the chair, like it felt like I was coming, coming like up almost when she like counted me out of it. Like it felt, even though my eyes were closed, it felt like everything was getting like brighter and like more present. So it's really, it's really cool. You know, I was a little skeptical, but yeah, it was really cool. And I honestly can say for like the first week after that, I did kind of feel a little shift in things. And so now I'm like totally intrigued by the unconscious mind. That's amazing. I am all about therapy and healing and whatever it takes to get you to a place of bettering yourself. And I love that you're open about therapy. I know I'm very open about it. I was in therapy for five years Mm -hmm. and it literally saved my life. And whenever women reach out to me and ask me for help, I'm like, you know, if I think as a life coach, you know, and you know, you coach as well. Yeah. We have to be you know, honest with people. And if we see something in someone, I mean, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good at like knowing if somebody is coachable or not, or if there's a deeper clinical issue there. Right. I refer people out to therapists constantly. Like this is a great thing for you. Like find someone to work on your depression with you, find someone to, you know, talk for me, it was anxiety. And I know that it completely changed my life to have somebody to really work on those things from like a behavioral change perspective. Mm -hmm. And especially for people that are struggling with drinking or drugs or, you know, any kind of behavior, you know, food addiction, like sex addiction, anything like that, anything reckless. It's, there's been so many times where people have reached out to me and I have had to say to them because a lot of that comes from very deep rooted things that have happened in your life or traumas or something you've held on to from your childhood. Like there's a lot of things that can ultimately absolutely play into you relying on substances to make you feel a different way. Completely. And I think as women, we need to remove the stigma. We need to make it okay to get help. We need to let people know that it's you know, the most beautiful thing you can do for yourself is to get yourself the help you need, no matter what it is, whether it's a substance addiction or whether it's a, you know, you're depressed or whatever you're going through. Maybe it's like you said, a food addiction and you need to speak to someone and get it together. Like it's, it's okay. It's necessary. It shouldn't be shameful. It shouldn't be something that we're embarrassed to talk about. I think it is, if anything, shows more strength and, you know, being strong enough to say, I want to do something about this and I'm going to take that step not only to admit to it, which takes a lot of courage to have the strength to do something about it. Yes, completely. And to talk about it and be vulnerable to the extent that you can. I mean, it takes, some people are comfortable talking about it. Some people, it takes a while, but I think if we can have these conversations with our girlfriends, with our family, with our coworkers, whoever it is around us, the more we can make it normal, the more other people will feel more, you know, comfortable or courageous to go out there and say, yeah, I have a problem too. I, I want to work on this. I want this issue to be fixed. I want to make my life better and I can do it in a way that feels good and in a way that doesn't feel scary or shameful. In a way that feels glamorously well. Yes, exactly. <laughs> naturally. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right. So on that note, Sarah, where can everyone find you? Because I want everyone to listen to your podcast, read every single one of your books. Tell us all what's out there and where they can find it. Um, So I'm a little bit of everywhere, but I feel like you can ultimately find everything on my website, which is sarahordo.com. I have my books on Amazon and Kindle. And I think most of them, if not all of them are on barnesandnoble.com now. I have my podcast, Her Best Fucking Life on iTunes and Stitcher. I also have a YouTube channel, which is like 
way OG from back in the day, but I do still post on it. So I have a YouTube channel under my name, Sarah Ordo. Um, and shameless plug, if anyone is in the Detroit area, like follow me on Instagram because now I've started doing like live events and speaking and doing like local event planning, which I'm so excited about. And okay, so wait, I would love to meet people. I love it. I think it's so important to connect in person. And I try to do meetups too in New York. I really yeah. should be doing more, but there's something so magical that happens when women come together and, you know, social media is great for the initial connection and for like maybe the day-to-day -day inspiration, but there's nothing like the in-person you know, meetups and, and that sort of thing. So I'm so excited that you're doing that. I can't wait. And my, my ultimate goal, cause you know, I, I always have like a crazy big dream looming in the distance. <laughs> I would love to do, there's nothing here. There's nothing in Detroit. I mean, there's little things, but there's nothing big. I would love to fucking do like a huge event here. And I swear to God, if it happens, I'm bringing you for it. Yes. Well, you just put it out into the universe. So it's happening. So get ready. I, I've already, I, I mean, I'm not going to say I haven't already like mentioned it to people locally. Like, Hey, could you help me? Cause I don't know what the hell I'm doing, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it would be amazing. Cause like you said, it's so different doing these like in-person things where you're fully immersed and you're there and you're present and it's all these people with a common goal. And it's just so fun. It is. And energy is everything. And I think when you get a room full of amazing, like-minded people together, there's just something there that just can't be replicated. Absolutely. I agree. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sarah, for chatting with me today. Thank you guys for listening. Please go follow Sarah. Check out her books, check out her event, her podcast, all that good stuff. And Sarah, I wish you the best and continue to just keep being amazing and, and inspiring people and living your best fucking life. Yes. Thank you so much for having me on again. It was so much fun chatting with you per usual. Thanks. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm so glad we got to spend this time together and I truly appreciate your listenership. If you loved this episode, please consider leaving me a review on iTunes so more women can find this podcast. For more on me, you can visit thechampagnediet.com. I'm also on Instagram at thechampagnediet and you can find all my books on Amazon just by searching my name. Till next time, cheers. Cheers.